Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaVariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. What you hear in the next hour could very well save your life. Now, here's your host, Sharon Kleina. I want you to listen to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Power of Water. We've been in on almost well over six years, and the power of water worldwide is something we emphasize on the show, even if we've had the subject of food, well, food and water. Your health issues and diseases is your dehydration of your body because your body is water. So today is exciting because we're learning, going to learn more about what we're going to, what what is happening with Dr. Dwayne Cecil, who's a PhD. And before we get to his him as a guest right now, I want you to think about this very seriously. Why this show is so vital to save lives. The coming water crisis that is going to change our everyday life has been happening. We just didn't take time to take it serious. Now, I'm going to be very fair. There's so many issues today that are beyond all imagination that are very important for your moment of life today. But your life today is depending upon water, fresh water, clean water, safe water. Now, without that water, the planet would be dust, there's a book out there called Aquashock, and I want you to look up that book. Susan Marks is the author, The Water Crisis in America. And I brought it up once before, and this morning when I was getting ready, I, I, I looked at the different topics that she had here. And I want you to hear one in particular. is a farmer, and the farmer said, when... When is the when is the uh, when it comes to the water gods, the courts are the mitigators, and what is said here has been challenging for everyone to understand. Is that his name is Bruce Newcomb and he was a rancher in um, Idaho, and uh, it's something there for you to think about what he was thinking about uh, and because so far back. And it's, he was thinking about 1998 is what he was concerned. He was a Speaker of the House in Idaho. Then the cost of water has been discussed all over the world. And what's happening to the capitalism of understanding water as a commodity. And this was said in the book, when the well runs dry, they know the worth of water. Benjamin Franklin said that way back in time. There's another one. The importance of plants and the water cycle. 
everything you're eating to keep you alive, even though water is the most important daily life for your health and your survival, there is water. But there's something that I need to emphasize is there's water on the ground, but the only reason there's water on the ground, the rivers, the streams, the lakes, running to, uh, the drainage running to the ocean is because of the water vapor that surrounds Earth from, for billions of years. That water vapor is what provides us healthy living and the organism of life to survive. You can only put so much in your mouth. It's that water vapor that is vital to your everyday life, but it must be kept clean. So what are we going to do about that if it's not kept clean? So today we're going to be discussing more of that, and I want you to remind you of on this planet how our population grows. Last week, our population grew here in the United States by 46,419 people. We're now a population in the United States that must drink water every day. And I'm saying water to drink is vital to your health, fresh water with no added ingredients. There's 316,302,369 people living here. Each one of those people every single day has to have water to drink, water for their food, water for their clothing, to be for washing, uh, water for cooking, and I could go on and on and on. The world population is now at 7,099,818,150 people. So how serious is water for the ongoing growth of our planet? It's vital. It's vital. There's nothing more important than water. There's... It's like we had uh, Captain Stuart Orr on here recently, who was a pilot in the Navy for many, many years, a fighter pilot. And he was allowed to have a gun in his, um, when he was out there on the plane as a fighter pilot. And he, in the cockpit, you're only allowed so much weight. He chose to have water, not the gun. So there's something said there. He wanted more water. So that the plane went down, he knew the one gun wasn't going to help him. But he knew that he could probably survive if he had water. So always remember what he said. And then what Gene Cernan said, our astronaut on the moon, the last time looked at Earth, at that blue ball around, that blue around Earth, God's porch. But he's looking at the, the, the water vapor around Earth. Earth has the water. Isn't that a fascination? We're going to listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist with Just a Mist. Did you know that at the surface of your eye is a tear film? And that tear film is not an eye drop. That tear film is not chemicals. It's natural water, 98%. So if you have a complaint about tiredness, exhaustion, redness, burning, itching, allergies, uh, common complaints sitting at the computer... Wearing your contacts, Nature's Tears Eye Mist is the only supplement, supplement like it globally, worldwide, to supplement your tear film with just a mist of tissue culture grade of water. We'll listen to our sponsor and we'll be right back with Dr. Cease. <laughs> 
Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to Sharon Hour at Yahoo.com. That's Sharon Hour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Dwayne, are you with us? I am. I'm here. Well, thank you. Um, I'm going to say a few words about your background. And something that is so fascinating for many, many years, decades, your commitment, and I want everyone to know your commitment has been beyond the fact that you have this extraordinary education and experience, but when I've talked to you, you've always had that passion of commitment, of concern, and water has been a primary focus, but the audience needs to know that you're U.S. Geological, you've been with the U.S. Geological Survey um, at different stations, and uh, you've been pr- uh, the principal investigator in the past of global mid-latitude glacial uh, research, which is water. Uh, NASA headquarters in Washington, D.C., Chief Scientist Applied Sciences Program uh, of Earth and, and the Science Division, understanding our planet that we're living on with the universe. Uh, another important factor was U.S. Uh, NASA Langley Research Center uh, Senior Science Advisor Conference, uh, Committee on Earth's Observation and Satellites, and then the NOAA Western Region uh, Climate Services Director. And we could go on and on and on what you've done. Um, tell us something before we begin this morning, Doctor. Um, what has been the most important uh, what you've learned, what's the most important um, information that you've learned uh, to help you become better and more experienced at what you're doing? Because you have so many years of dedication to uh, what you've been learning. Well, I, I think just learning itself. I mean, as you, as you discover uh, what you think are answers and you can't understand why uh, the population of, of a certain area that you're studying or, or the, the political leaders of that, that area can't see the same things you see. And then when you sit down with them and, and see what kind of pressures they're under and what kinds of things besides science that they have to deal with to make their decisions, it's, it's exciting to me to be able to try to blend the science with 
the politics and the economics and try to understand the information that, that I'm offering, how it can complement and be utilized to make decisions. And so that's, that's kept me energized and excited to try to make those connections. Uh, a lot of scientists will, will do their research and stay in their laboratory or if it's outdoor research, um, stay where they are studying and, and they don't make that connection. But for me, it's been exciting and, uh, it's from, from one region to the next, from one project to the next to try to make that information that I've been trusted with as a federal employee, been trusted with from taxpayers to, to take that information and to make it as useful as possible for decision support and, and for making decisions on the local and regional level. That's kept me energized and excited, and I've, I've moved now, as you know, from the federal sector into the private sector, and, and I'm finding it even more stimulating in the private sector because I can do things like testify before Congress like I did in Fed this past February mm-hmm. on, on applications of science, and I could not do that as a federal employee. So it's, okay. it's even more exciting for me now than it was 30 years ago. They've always said that when you re- remove yourself from uh, different uh, positions that you go into a private sector, you have m- many more assets to what you, can con- what you can achieve than if you're part of an organization that's so structured. So well, you probably enough. feel like oh, you've got some freedom to provide more information, but the education. You know, before we begin this morning, because we got some exciting things to discuss, um, what do you think, what would be that if you had a, um, uh, if somebody come to you and tap you and say, what would you need to be able to, to have an impact that your information is so life-threatening? You, that, that information is vital to lay a life for eternity for the planet to be able to survive with water and the water vapor and safe water and clean water. Uh, what would be the most important first thing that if they could hand you what you needed, what would that be? Observations. I absolutely, without a doubt, we have to be able to be flexible to design observational networks to uh, meet the changes that we see as we understand the information that's coming in. But especially in this country, we have abandoned observational networks. I just attended a couple weeks ago the state American Association of State Climatologists annual meeting in St. Louis and these state climatologists are they're under uh, budget crunches like everyone is, and so they're closing up their observational networks. The federal government is closing observational networks and not flying satellites. And so more and more we're losing our ability to really understand what's happening in the environment around us and how to plan for those changes that we see. And so now, in other countries of the world, now, in other countries of the world, comparing uh, to those observation networks, do you have a country out there that's doing very well at that? Uh, yeah, China and India, both those countries are, are putting lots of resources and mm-hmm. uh, lots of you know, people into building observational networks, and, and they are attempting to tie them to global observational networks as well. They're not just looking at their countries. I mean, you have to, you have, to have a global picture. Um, exactly. Some of the South American co- countries, Brazil and Argentina in particular, are trying hard. Japan is building observational networks and joining observational networks uh, on, a, on a global scale. Europe, 
of the European Union um, has done a, an admirable job of, of not abandoning the observational networks, even with the financial problems that they've been faced wow, with. Wow, that's a good that's a good report. Hmm. But even even those that are attempting to not lose what they have, you know, we're all facing some budget crunches, and and so we have to look globally on on how we can do things together to observe what's going on in this planet. But here in the United States, it's uh, it's not very high on the priority list, and you know, we I often hear from members of Congress, well, why do we need more data? Why do we need more observations? That's legitimate questions. And we have to, to the scientific community, we have to show the value added and what would be lost if we lose, in mm-hmm. fact, we are losing observational networks. We're losing mm-hmm. the data. Well, they're going to find out more here and not too far future when some of these rivers that are flowing through state to state and one of those states decides to hold, to not share the water the way they used to because they have to concern themselves about their own water resource and their own economy. And um, and the, the United States having 50 of these states and the water resources are being shared by rivers flowing. And then, like, as we know, and you know better than I, that Colorado has been sharing their water for so long with California, New Mexico, and Arizona that one day they may decide they may not be able to share the water that way. And then all no, of a sudden... Yeah, it, it, it's, it's, we're an interesting society, all of us, all over the world. We don't do much of anything really on, uh, on the ground. I don't mean people that are ad- advocates of concern like yourself. They don't do it until the crisis comes. And then all of a sudden, they, didn't pre- they weren't proactive. And I, I'm a believer of being proactive. And as you know, with my research, the water vapor of the air, uh, people think that the, the health of your life is all going through the mouth. I'm saying, wait a minute, the priority is the air you're living in with that water called humidity, water vapor that keeps you alive. Without healthy water vapor, you're not going to live or you're going to be prone to um, dehydration of the body and each individual dehydrates separately, differently, that all of a sudden disease will be out of control. But tell us, I was really excited to hear about what you did last week. Tell us what, what that was about. Uh, I'm a science advisor for a NASA student program called DEVELOP, and it's uh, administered out of the NASA Langley Research Center in Hampton, Virginia. But they have students all over the United States, and the program's been around for about 11 years now, and they've processed and, and nurtured more than a 1,000 students through this program. And, and the students in the program are from high school level to postdoctoral students who have just finished up their doctorate degree. And what they do is they put together teams each school term, and um, a couple terms ago, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the teams I worked on in, in uh, Mexico with Mexican disaster response. They had a, a high school senior from a, a high school in Virginia, and also on the same team they had a UCLA postdoc. So they try to mix all levels, bachelor's degree, master's degree, Ph.D., postdocs, with high school students all on the same team. And they give them a, a project where they have a decision maker, <clears throat> for instance, last week, was working with a group from the University of Virginia and they're looking at um, air pollution and human health from two coal-fired power plants in Virginia. And so they have this mix of students from high school level to postdoc level in the same team. 
they sit with the decision makers that are trying to uh, clean up their act literally with these coal-fired power plants, and, and we've seen a lot of that in the news lately, especially with President Obama's 21-page uh, climate plan that he came out with about a month and a half ago that the coal industry has, has uh, responded to uh, strongly. They feel that like they're being singled out. And so these coal-fired power plants are very much uh, interested in, in improving what they're doing in the environment as well. So these students take these projects on. They use uh, NASA, NOAA, and USGS satellite information um, they also use international satellite information when they're looking in other areas, for instance, Mexico. And they work together with the decision makers to offer this science and, and these observations to them in a way that they can make better decisions. And where, so, are those student, where are the students from? Uh, they're from all over the world. All this, over the this world. Particular program, this particular part of the NASA developed program through the University of Virginia WISE campus is the international program. And, and, for instance, there was two teams that I met with last week from Rwanda. One team is working on energy, um, alternate energy sources for Rwanda, and the other team was working on agriculture for Rwanda. Mm-hmm. These students come from all over the world. Um, they, some students come to the United States and are team through a university here. Some of the team members are at universities in their countries. And, for instance, we have team members in Rwanda, in the university there, and also in Mexico mm-hmm. for uh, the Mexican project that we're doing right now. So they're from all over the world. But uh, And how old, it, it, what do you think some of the ages were, Doctor? Um, you know, they're, they're, again, they're high school age to postdoc, so early okay. 30s from, okay. from 17, 18 to early 18. 30s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I'm a believer people. that the youth are the energy of everything. I always have uh, with things that I was involved in years ago, too, and I wanted to get something uh, very serious. I brought an enormous amount of young people together to, to impact the subject, and their energy and their youthfulness, new ideas, and, and not shy about if they're convinced. They're not shy about anybody embarrassing them, thinking you, you, you're taking this too serious. People take it I serious. When, yes. Um, so there, these young people came to learn more about these subject matters and learn to be more proactive uh, to try to solve them before they happen, or if they're happening, try to solve those obstacles before they get out of hand uh, with the water issues and the climate issues and and you know something, um, Dwayne. People don't realize, and you can you can uh, uh, question me, but people don't realize that this planet Earth, with all this water vapor on it, is is also the water on the ground is having a um, a, a life crisis, an endangered crisis. But the, that but it influences the water in the air, and the water in the air influences. Uh, which is some humidity, it influences the water on the ground. No, it's, that's true. It's a complete cycle. And the, the groundwater resources, especially in, in the central part of the United States, we're mining the groundwater. It's, it's not being replenished fa- as fast as we're mining it. So we're actually lowering groundwater levels, and that's happening all over the world. We've, you know, we've talked several times about this, but I want to come back to something you said about the students. I, I agree with everything you said 
about their energy, and, and they really keep you on your toes. And one thing I would add with these international students is when they start speaking about their country and, and their resources within their country and what they're trying to preserve and nurture, it, it takes on a, a, a different, it goes to a different level. I mean, the pride that they have to see, and I see it in American students as well, that they, they, they're inquisitive, they have great questions and great ideas, but when you see the pride in what, what they are responsible for in these studies, it takes it to a complete different level. You know, I think I may have told you one time, but I was invited to speak at the Blue Mountain Middle School in Upper New York off the Hudson River, and um, Donna Miller and uh, had invited me a t- faculty member, and the students were going to have, when they came back from the spring vacation, the subject of water on Earth. So I went, and, and um, when we got there um, in the auditorium, it was an older school, so it had a very... Uh, um, theatrical uh, type auditorium where the, sta- the, the seats were gradually built up to higher at the top and lower at the bottom to the floor. Then the stage was in front and they wanted me on stage and I said, no, I want to be on the floor with two mics. And so they brought in all the students and they brought in a lot of faculty because they thought, oh my God, the students will probably get bored and there'll be some restlessness and it was going to last for 45 minutes. Well, Dwayne, I started out with this subject of water is who you are. And I got them educated immediately about their walking water and that the water influence of the earth is within them and then with the air you're breathing. And, Dwayne, when we were done, they went 15 minutes longer. You could have heard a pinfall. The kids stood up and cheered and, 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 and yelled and clapped. And they lasted 15 minutes longer because I associated the water with them inside them from their birth to where they're walking around to the planet Earth also being alive and living with them. And their relationship of their health is all in, in relationship with the whole system. And you could just see them, and I got the right information. I had it in, I put it in little plastic bags so they could read it, and and I had a little diagram of the, how much water is out throughout your body and and your brain and your blood and your your fat and all these, and they were shocked. They had no idea. They weren't thinking that way. And you know, if we were going to go do a project together, the impact of getting every single person in the room to sit there and realize they're walking water, that, uh, that we need water to replace ourselves. Well, we are water. The earth is water. The air we're living in. And the other one is people forget we're living in water, the air. But the kids, you're right about children, uh, kids. I don't mean to call them children. They're, uh, they're full of energy and they're, they are just flabbergasted if your approach is connecting them that they are water too and these diseases. So, but again, now when you were all done with the week, uh, did you have a get together for all the kids to come together and tell you what they think they learned? Uh, we did. We, we had a, a lunch together on oh. Friday and, uh, you know, they come to these, these, 
uh, wrap-ups, we call them, at the, at the end of these sessions. Right. And they come, and they're, and they're even more questions than they had during the week. I mean, they're just oh, so curious yeah. and so excited about what they're doing. And, and it's sort of the approach that you took with the kids there in New York. The kids come to, to the science advisors with that same kind of approaches. They try to put it back into some thinking from, that they get from your experience. And so they're using that same approach when they come back to us is, you know, here's, here's what I've discovered, here's how it relates to what you do, and, that, mm-hmm. and they get our attention. So it's, it's a lot of fun mm-hmm. to work with them, and, and you learn a lot that way. A um, couple of things I wanted to talk about, I heard, you mentioned a, a book earlier, and you quoted a, an Idaho rancher that was Speaker of the House in Idaho, Bruce Newcomb, and I wanted to mention to your listeners and, and to you, and I think I've mentioned it before, but have you had a chance to read the book Cadillac Desert by Mark Reisner? No, I haven't. Um, I, would, I would urge anybody that has any interest in water in the United States and, and um, western water law and, and how we've taken desert in the western part of this country and, and converted it into farming areas and, and farming areas that the whole world depends on now, for instance, in Sac- mm-hmm. San Joaquin Valley of, of California. But it, the name of the book is Cadillac Desert, the American West and its Disappearing Water. And mm-hmm. it's, it's just a fantastic history of how we've developed the western part of this United States and why we are facing some of the problems that we're facing now with urban sprawl and, and diminishing water supplies and diminishing snowpack in the western mountains, which really is the source for, for the groundwater and for the surface water. And, and some of the challenges that we have ahead that, that he, he points out at the, at the end of this book. But I would, I would urge any of your readers that are interested in, in how we've developed water supplies in this country and how maybe we haven't thought it out too well. We haven't looked ahead well, well, we haven't. Um, we're going to take a break with our sponsor, but when we come back, I'm going to challenge you with your years of experience that if, if we had the magic wand again, um, what would we do to get proactive and get people more involved with education? Um, I think that it's almost like they're demonstrating about all kinds of priorities, but I think that it's time there started being a movement and a demonstration to prove that the education with water is vital to all life and to people's health and their diseases that are out of control. Uh, if you just sit there for a moment, we're going to be right back. Uh, okay. We're going to listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist with Just a Mist. The surface of your eye is 98% watered. With Just a Mist, you'll be surprised how soothing and what a benefit. What is the priority? You brush your teeth and that could prevent cavities. Have you ever understood that if your water, if your eye is water at the surface, you must replenish that with a benefit, with a soothing mist? We'll listen to our sponsor and we'll be right back with Dr. Cecil. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. 
Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to Sharon Kleina Hour at Yahoo.com. That's Sharon Kleina Hour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Well, I'm having a little difficulty hearing you. I've, oh, there. There we go. Okay, now I can You know, I apologize to the audience because when my producer there, and Arizona said, go something, go ahead. I thought it was over and done, so I just kept moving. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, I'll well, say it again because they probably, the audience probably had a hard time because the music was going too. Um, the priority, we're, we're, we're knowing, thanks to you and individuals who have been in research like yourself, this is a crisis. How do we, if you had everything you wanted uh, in place, to go out and emphasize the priority. What would be the, one of the first priorities that would you, you would do with the issue of water in some of these states that are at really in a crisis? Well, I think for me it's, it's education. And, and how do you yeah. bring a global view into a regional and a local um, context? Because we can, as you know, I'm, I'm uh, involved with Project WET, which is with the uh, United Nations. It's uh, water education for teachers on a global scale. Mm-hmm. And it really takes a global view, but then it brings that information, that experience down to the local level. And so to find a leader on the local level that that is keenly interested in the power of water and the need for water and, and what the water supplies are locally and what the impacts are, and then to be able to articulate that and, and to give that information to all the other people that live in that area, it's, it's, it really comes down to education. The more information and in, in today's world with the Internet, it, it just seems like there's some great opportunities to bring water education from a global level down to a local level. And these decisions have to be made at the local level, the state and local level. We're in a bit of a unique situation in this country with the 50 state governments that really do have some independence and do have state rights by our Constitution. I mean, it's a little bit, it's almost like 50 small governments within one large country. Well, it is. I've always government. said like 50 little countries, right? Yeah, yeah, it is. And so that, that makes a bit more of a challenge. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, we have state geologists, we have state climatologists. Um, I'm not aware of, and I come from a hydrologic background, my, my bachelor's degree training and, and about 10, 15 years of experience with the U.S. Geological Survey working in hydrology, and I'm not aware of a state hydrologist's office. Some states have them, like California, but um, we, we need to elevate this part of our environment uh, to the level of, of a state and local point of contact that can bring this information to 
the state and local folks who need the information about where are we in water supplies, what are the impacts on those supplies, not just uh, pollution but users, who's using that. I mean, you, you just stated earlier about California and other states using uh, Colorado River water. Well, um, this comes back and is pointed out vividly in Cadillac Desert. It comes back to how water law has been written in this country. And so, I mean, I'm starting to ramble a little bit, but if we could understand historically what we've done in this country in development of our country, how important and keen water was for that development, if we can understand that history, then we can, I think we can start to educate locally and, and make the decisions we need to make and move forward. Western that water wasn't law rambling. Was you, you are right. In fact... Times change, and it's like uh, when people first began, I'm going to ask you something. Uh, I was going to ask you this today. Where do you believe, when you were in, in, in getting your degrees, where did the first droplet of rain come down in which country to, for water to be at the surface first? Do you know that answer? Which country well, I- of our planet was the first country to be able, when the rain came down and went on the surface of our planet, and then the water came to the surface at that, when it filled up in the aquifers below, which country had the water first? Uh, I'm not sure I understand. No, I'm not sure. Okay, well, it didn't all happen at once. There had to be an influence of where the rain came down and a part of our planet first. Am I wrong? Um, well, I'm not really sure I understand the question because um, if you look at the water cycle, the water cycle mm-hmm. has been operate an operation on this planet since before humans populated the planet. Right, so I'm, right. I'm not, I understand the question. Do, yeah, do you so, have an answer? Well, what I meant was, and okay, I'll look at it. I'll try another way. Because uh, nothing all over this earth has ever happened in the same cycle. That's exactly a lot. That's correct. That's correct. Okay, which continent or which country do you believe that water was there on the surface of the, of the earth first? Well, I'd have to guess it'd be either the tropics or the poles, if, if you're mm-hmm. including frozen water. Uh-huh. Well, didn't frozen say- water came later, and so you believe that that frozen water that came later probably had the first amount of water there at the beginning. Well, you know, I, I, I'm wondering if you've ever thought of this, Dr. Ziesel. <laughs> no, I haven't. I haven't. Because I mean, it's, 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 it seems to me that it's not I an, do. an I really do. I do. In yeah. fact, I studied so far back about uh, the color of our skin based on weather. And uh, on the planet Earth, when you had a certain kind of weather, skin choices of color were chosen by the climate and what was happening at the moment at that time right. of era. And uh, it's like over in uh, Iceland, you have a lighter skin. In, um, in England, you have a light skin. And different countries of the world have a di- darker skin. It's all it's a climate and how Earth began. And uh, that's how I, and I, I, I never thought about it until I asked you just now, 
where did that first water begin in which continent or country? Because it didn't all happen at once. Um, now, we're living here in southern Oregon. Uh, the Kalamaopsis Forest is here. You probably have heard of it. It was a rainforest. It is a rainforest. It was a rainforest from the beginning, millions of years ago. And they had one year more rain than anywhere, uh, that's what I was told, than anywhere else on Earth, 500 inches of rain in one year. And um, it's about 20 minutes from us, 15 minutes from us here. Um, but again, uh, you know, and you think about this Earth's cycle with the solar system, the universe, and how this all began, um, because it all had to begin at some point, and then all of a sudden, uh, the amounts of water that began, uh, but it all it couldn't be all at once. It had to be no different than we have our well at weather changes today. I, I'm looking at it that way. You're you're the scientist. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, well, the, the way I'm looking at it I can't, to know me I can't think of really a lot of fun for you people that are very science, uh, you're scientific. Uh, I'm such a common sense person. <laughs> well, that's what I'm trying to do is trying to figure out when did the water cycle begin? Which no, I mean uh, your, on your the earth to have it on the surface, uh, to have it come up to the surface and have it appear on the surface. Where would oh, that have begun? Oh, 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 okay. I see what you're saying. Well, that would have been in springs, and you know, the first first human settlements would have been around springs. I mean, we we mm-hmm. congregated around water resources. Oh, okay, yes. So, so that would have been you know, that would have been the you know, beginning of of civilization. Right. Um, and human, I'm after. Humans built around those springs. That's right. The instincts oh, were there. Yeah. Yeah. The survival. And, and, and you know, I believe the faith in God began because they couldn't believe the resource that it offered. And then when I was studying for so long that there was no such thing as a modern mirror to look at yourself to see what you look like. So when they were looking into the water and they saw something in the water of that profile, that per person, they thought that that had to be something more powerful because they, they didn't know what they looked like. So the water became right, right. A, a mirror to them of, of survival and faith and, 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 and the obstacles they had to live to, to survive as the, as the beginning of our time. Right. So, but I'm all common sense, <laughs> Dr. Cecil. I mean, um, I used to say when I was president of American Cancer Society years ago with education, education, and then the volunteers, they tried to duplicate what the doctors were saying in some of the same words. I said, no, 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 no. You do not repeat those same words, that they, how they explain it. You go in and educate with common sense. And we'll save more lives with that dialogue and common sense. So uh, this goes way back in my time. Now, with the students that came over and you were educating them, how did they learn about the, the education that was going to be provided in this? Uh, where, are they all part of an organization? No, actually, uh, NASA does a, a masterful job, I think, of, of advertising this program. And they okay. advertise it through universities all over the world. And they also approach some of the um, embassies in Washington, mm-hmm. D.C. area and, and mm-hmm. let them know that, you know, these, these educational programs are out there. And um, taxpayers in this country would be happy to know that, that uh, 
in the international programs, the international students are funded by their countries. And so they work mm-hmm. with the United States students funded by through NASA programs here and and the um, the international students are funded from their home countries. So now in our country of the United States and these fifty states, do we have something like that with students? For just oh, in yeah. our country? Oh yes, yes. There's okay. there's all so they kinds get together of they also programs. get together? Okay. So do they get yeah. together all together, uh, come in with uh, uh, into a, an arena uh, like the Jacob Javits Center of New York and have a once-a-year get-together on the concern of water? Do they all get together once a year? Well, absolutely. The, this NASA Develop Program is having their annual, they call it closeout, their annual closeout on August 1st at mm-hmm. NASA headquarters in, in Washington, D.C., and I've Attended last year, it was in July, I attended last year, and it was, there must have been, oh, I'm going to say three or four hundred students anyway, and it was, and, and advisors, and at NASA headquarters, and they're doing it, they do it every year, and they're doing it again this year, August 1st, at, at NASA headquarters mm-hmm. in Washington, D.C. Because mm-hmm. uh, to they, me, they, I think that it's so important that the schools uh, select and raise money for the students to go to these big conferences. And realize that when they go back, it's kind of like, um, Dwayne, when I went to the Blue Mountain Middle School because their course was coming up on water. Uh, obviously, because you have this, uh, this organization that you're constantly educating teachers about education about water. And I'm wondering in the back of my mind if that's why they're having courses on water on Earth at these schools. Yeah, and, and and you actually have hit upon the theme of Project Wet Water Education for Teachers. And I'd urge your listeners to to if they have access to the internet to get on and take a look at the Project Wet. It, it's mm-hmm. United Nations sponsored. It works all over the world. It's actually headquartered in Bozeman, Montana, and mm-hmm. and they're doing this from a global level down to a local level. How do you, how do we bring this global information to the local teachers and decision makers and give them the kind of, of data and, and information they need to make planning and, and decisions at their local level. And so mm-hmm. I think, you know, go back to your one of your questions about if I had the magic wand, um, what would I do? I mean, education is is key to all kinds of positive things happening in this world. And, and so I would I would urge in this country, I would urge our educators to concentrate more on, on the water cycle and, and the water environment and usage of water. Uh, there's so much time and effort and, and money spent in computer science and computer applications. And mm-hmm. as you know, most of the young people in this country can run rings around us with, with technology and, and the computers. But I think we're missing something here out in the you environment. You know what I think it is? Make I that could time. be... You can follow me on something. I, 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 it's the response I got at the Blue Mountain Middle School by educating the individual person, the body of the person sitting there, that you are water. How can you live without it? We're we're, we're not. We're, we've missed um, the education as far as the individual health issues is with dehydration of the body. And if the body is going through a dehydration process from the moment you're born until you die, 
you die dehydrated to death. It's a it's a very important issue to health education. They're not even discussing dehydration. And no, when I started my research, the word dehydration, sometimes you'd think, well, I get a temperature over 100, I guess I'm dehydrating. And I, I, I will share with you some very, and it's just shot, was shocking so far back. Then I brought the word dehydration into a serious focus of what is happening to individualities and their health every day. Have you ever met anybody who says, I don't drink water, I don't like it? But I do drink a lot of coffee and other things and juices. Well, but that water is the solvent of all life on earth. It must be 100% pure water, nothing but water for you to drink. And you need to drink because you have 50 trillion cells in your body. And the Nobel Prize winner that was able to prove those cells always stay wet. <laughs> he, he didn't get a Nobel Prize for 25 years because he had to prove they never changed. And uh, he, had to, he and I laughed. But Back to the whole thing. Once they get the priority of the education about living life is water and that all your life as a person is water, the brain is 80 to 90% water. It connects in the womb uh, with the eyes at the very same moment. Why did it connect with the eyes at the same moment? Because once you're born, the eyelid opens in that delivery room, and all of a sudden the organ of the eye is having to depend upon water vapor on the outside of the organ of the eye, but on the in- behind the eye, the brain is 80 to 90% water, and it has to depend upon the brain to give it, if it's too de- the eyes are too dehydrated, it has to believe rely upon the storage that you keep maintained of water in your body and your brain. And, you and know, all people never there. think that way, Dwayne. They, no, they, they don't. They really don't. No, we don't. And it took me years and millions of dollars to get it to a focus that our lives on this earth, and then getting doctors to say, please do not try to get into medication without a full glass of water with every single pill. They're taking their pills with their coffee. Um, they're not uh, thinking about their hydrotherapy with their shower or their tub. Uh, they're no. not thinking, yeah, we've, we've left that way back in time. They knew it was their survival. But today, it's common sense if we get the people educated why you can't live without water. Well, there's so much in our life to, to stimulate us. It's, it's hard to to get young people to, to focus on, on something that, that they may not understand or really isn't right in front of them. And I think that we've, as educators and as scientists, we've not communicated well what, what the importance is of what's going on around them and the environment and the information needed to, to make that connection. It's out there, but we, we haven't made that connection. We've got to find how to connect it to where people go. It's kind of like... Uh, Dwayne, the water-to-drink companies. So far back, people, there were water hydrants all over the place, even on roads. You could have a, a, a place you could stop along the road, and here came a spring, and you get a drink, some water. Well, nowadays, it's the water companies uh, that provide the bottled water. So you can go buy a bottled water and carry it with you everywhere. And I have always, I've gotten so excited in the past couple of years where I see more kids carrying bottled water than the soda. 
and, and the families yeah. buying cases of bottled water so the kids can walk out every day, go to school with a bottled water. Then we have people that come along and say, oh, I don't like those plastic bottles. And I'm thinking, oh, please, let's try to figure out the plastic bottles because I want the kids walking around with bottled water yeah. and families yeah. to make that accessible to them. There are some success stories out there in this country, but, I, again, I think that we need a more concerted effort locally to make everyone aware of, of why we need water, how we need it, what the impacts are on the water, and what we can do individually in our own homes, in our own communities, to uh, reverse some of the things that, that we've not paid attention to over the last few decades. Yeah, we only have about a minute and a half. Uh, what would you like to emphasize today? Because uh, you're so dedicated to this, and people can tell by your tone. It, you know, I, I get it told all the time, oh, my gosh, your passion. Well, yes, um, it's serious. And, I, and when, once I figured out how serious this was, how do we get people alerted to all the other distractions they have, but water is the, should be the number one. So I'll give you that minute and a half, Dr. Cecil. Well, I think what we have to do is, is among the country's leaders, is find a, a champion for this cause. And I'll give you an example. Whether you agree with them or not, I'll give you an example. And that was Al Gore. And he, he took it upon himself to, to look at what he saw as changing climate. And perhaps he took it in the wrong direction, some people think. Uh, some scientists think that he uh, didn't tell the complete story. He told the story as he saw it. But a national leader with that passion that took that subject forward, we need that in water. We need to have a national leader, and, and I'm, I'm sure it's going to come from the West because the, the water situation in the western part of the United States is, is critical. I mean, it's critical everywhere, but especially in the western United States. We need a, a, a national voice, a national champion, and then we can bring that back from from an international level to a local level. But we don't have that champion for water. I, okay. I worked for Mo Udall in 76, Dr. and he was Cecil, one of those guess champions. what? We, we're out of time, darn it. But, you know, that was a good way to end the show. You are right uh, about uh, Al Gore. And uh, what we need out there is a person that's a national focus with, uh, with our movement that uh, we need to look for and pursue. Yeah. I want to thank you for being on with us today. And, um, again, we'll do it again. I'm hoping you can find some more time with you because you're full of information and it forces us to stop and talk about the water issues. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for being with us. You have a nice day. I want to thank everybody who's made this show possible. I am so fortunate. The power of water on earth is what we're all about. And thank you for listening. You have a nice day and you be well. Thank you for listening. Join us next week for another edition of the Sharon Kleina Hour. Health, environment, and the power of water. Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel with an encore Wednesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Remember to visit Sharon's website at SharonKleinaHour.com.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.